Welcome to Booksmart, a podcast where we read and share books that have a positive influence on our daily lives. Whether it's self-improvement, success, or something fun, we're here to help you read your way to a better you. I'm Em. And I'm Melissa. And this week, we're reading Finish, Give Yourself the Gift of Done by John Acuff. Before we get started, here's a brief summary of this week's book. Year after year, readers pulled author John Acuff aside at events and said, I've never had a problem starting. I've started a million things, but I never finish them. Why can't I finish? The author thought the reason he couldn't finish his own goals was because he didn't try hard enough. He says, So I started getting up earlier. I drank enough energy drinks to kill a horse. I hired a life coach and ate more superfoods. Nothing worked. Then, while leading a 30-day online course to help people work on their goals, John Acuff learned something surprising. The most effective exercises were not those that pushed people to work harder. The ones that got people to the finish line did just the opposite. They took the pressure off. It turns out the sneakiest obstacle to meeting your goals is not laziness, but perfectionism. The strategies in this book are counterintuitive and might feel like cheating. You might not guess that having more fun, eliminating your secret rules, and choosing to bomb on something intentionally works, but the data says otherwise. If you're tired of being a chronic starter and want to become a consistent finisher, you have two options. You can continue to beat yourself up and try harder, since this time that will work, or you can give yourself the gift of done. So Melissa, why did we read this book? Okay, I think I read this book at exactly the right time to recommend it to us. You'd mentioned John Acuff as a prospective author we should choose for an episode, and I'd read a few of his blog posts before, but never any of his books. So I was excited to give this book a try, and it was a really easy read, which I know you needed this month. Yeah, honestly, January and February have been killer months for me work-wise, both killer in terms of the quantity of work, but also how I am killing it with the quality of my work. But I am on the verge of burnout. (laughs) So you and I were talking about how I needed a book that was going to be easy and fun and not push me over the edge. And what better book to read during a month that is packed with projects, but a book about finishing projects. Hell yeah. (sighs) So now that February is almost over, as of recording time, I can attest, this book was everything I needed. Amazing. I felt the same way. So let's open the book and get started. According to studies, 92% of New Year's resolutions fail. Every January, people start with hope and hype, believing that this will be the new year that does indeed deliver a new Mm. you. That's how John Acuff kicks off this book, by talking about how few of us actually succeed at anything. And it's kind of sobering right off the bat. Yeah, the fact that starting is easy and finishing is hard and our homes are filled with stuff that we started but didn't finish. And in my house alone, I can think of books. I have half-painted canvases, planned out to-do lists for goals I didn't hit. And I know that's a common thing. Yeah, I'm sure all of our listeners can totally relate. I'm sure we all have something hanging out around our house or maybe on our computer, a half-started project. Mm. We had all the best intentions about it. um, And now it just sits there unfinished. And something I love that John says in the book John, because we're BFFs. He says, I thought my problem was that I didn't try hard enough. That's what every shiny-toothed guru online says. You've got to hustle. You must grind. Sleep when you're dead. 
Maybe I was oh just God. lazy. Right. I know I felt that way too, right? Mm-hmm. Like if only I could work up enough willpower, if only, if only, if only, then maybe I could get this done. Yeah. I felt like it was on me. Yeah. And then of course we beat ourselves up because of that, that I didn't try hard enough. I'm just lazy. I need to get up earlier and sleep on and better on. and work with a coach and have more energy. And it's like, no. And in fact, that's what John says is that that voice in our heads being so hard on ourselves is the voice of perfectionism. Exactly. That's the big takeaway from the book. Mm-hmm. Perfectionism is the enemy of the finisher. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going to spend most of this book talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. The problem is aiming for perfect. And John worked with a researcher during his 30 Days of Hustle online course to figure out what was happening analyzing why the participants of his course weren't meeting their goals. And they truly found that the less people aimed for perfect, the more productive they became. Mm -hmm. What was fascinating about this book, I don't know what I expected from a book called Finish, but really this theme of you don't have to be perfect, perfectionism is keeping you from finishing and hitting your goals. At first, I thought, hmm, I don't know if that's me. But by the end of this book, I realized just how many different types of ways that the expectation on yourself or from others creeps in to be perfect really does prevent me from hitting goals. Yeah. And it's not just at the beginning of the project. It's at every, at certain key points throughout the project, perfectionism rears its head with a new face Mm -hmm. that this book enables us to take on, like recognize it and then be able to work around it. Exactly. So the way this book is laid out is that we start at the beginning of a journey, the way that many people started at the beginning of the 30-day challenge, and then you work your way from the start through the finish. So day one, we typically all have a lot of motivation. We're pretty excited. Mm -hmm. But we start off this book with the day after perfect. In other words, where things start to maybe go not according to plan or not how we'd hope. Right, and I think we can all relate to this, where we start off with such shiny plans and high hopes and then somehow something derails us and we feel like we've already fallen off (laughs) the wagon and so what's the point in continuing toward our goal if we've already failed exactly he says that one of the lies perfectionism tells us at this phase is quit if it isn't perfect Mm -hmm. i think a lot of us easily fall into this maybe without even noticing Mm -hmm. so he says developing tolerance for imperfection is the key factor in turning chronic starters into consistent finishers right right recognize first to embrace imperfection One, recognize that it won't kill you, despite the language that we use to the contrary. Even I just said, derailed, off track, everything went to hell. Like, that is really extreme language for something that was honestly a minor blip in the long course of reaching a goal. Mm -hmm. But we're so fatalistic about that one slip up. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, I've noticed this for myself. I'm sure listeners can relate. But if you miss a day or even thinking back, this reminded me a lot of Atomic Habits, episode four, where we said you want to make sure that you never miss twice. Mm -hmm. But who's to say that you can't go a day, a week, a month, or even a year? You could always pick up and continue. But for some reason, that first moment that things aren't perfect, it's like we give up and maybe we feel like we failed and it gets harder to continue. Mm -hmm. The first tip that he gives is just look back on some of your incomplete goals that you did leave unfinished and then like just make a little list and then reflect on like which didn't you finish, why, and then use that data as you go forward. 
to figure out what systems you can start putting in place or how you can act in the face of perfectionism to move forward. I loved that suggestion. Something else that really stood out to me in this section is he mentions that the fear of not being perfect stops some people from even starting. Yeah. He says they'd rather get a zero than a 50. In other words, they believe perfect is the only standard, and if they can't hit it, they won't even take the first step. A jury sense of, what's the use, settles about them like a thick fog. I can't fail if I don't try. Yeah, I related to that one, and I know we'll talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about that in the next episode about this book, but that one stuck with me, and it it really made me immediately start to think about how I approach goals. Like, I, I have such a high standard for myself immediately that sometimes I don't even start, which is so counterproductive to me meeting the goals that I want to. I know. It's easy to say it out loud and yeah. to acknowledge, like, wow, seems silly to not even start right. isn't some part of, you know, isn't 50 better than zero to mm-hmm. his point. But in the moment, it doesn't feel that way. Mm-mm, it doesn't. So these initial ideas about embracing imperfection and preparing for the inevitable day after perfect are going on defense against perfectionism, but next we're going to go on the offense. Absolutely. So next up, we want to cut your goal in half. And if you just had a panic attack or thought, oh, that seems a little aggressive. (laughs) Extreme, yeah. Then you're not alone. But he says perfectionism wants you to dream bigger. If you're aiming for like $10,000 as a goal, why not 100000 right. Like why not just take it to the max mm-hmm. instead of a 5K? Why not a marathon? Mm-hmm. He says that reason why you should cut it in half is because there's something called the planning fallacy, which says that we tend to be over-optimistic about how long things will take us. So cutting it in half will help you out in the long term because maybe it's a more realistic target in the first place. Right. I loved this tip. And it really is one of the next places where perfectionism rears its ugly head by just we think we're getting ready to start a goal. And then the next hurdle is that perfectionism makes us aim too high. So we're already setting ourselves up for not finishing because of that ambush from perfectionism. So cutting your goal in half feels a little counterintuitive, but John found in his the research that was done over his 30-day course that those who did cut their goals in half on this course increased their performance from past similar challenges by over 63%, and 90% said they had increased desire to work on their goal. Like their goals seemed more attainable, so they were actually motivated to keep going. I highlighted exactly the same section. Mm. This was the most interesting part to me, where the people who took this shortcut were the ones who finished. And that's the term he uses. He says, maybe this feels like a shortcut. And he says, good. Right. Like, it should feel like a shortcut. You're trying to finish. But a good example is, let's say you wanted to lose 10 pounds one month. Well, if you lose eight, it feels like a failure. But if you cut that goal in half and you only you know, said you were going to lose five, now eight is a success. And to the point about people continuing, now you've built momentum. You're probably more likely to continue into the next month. And to me, that was the big takeaway, that this encourages longer-term thinking. It feels more sustainable. Like, I personally don't have this weight loss goal. It's just an example. Mm -hmm. But maybe for me, it's a certain number of yoga classes Mm -hmm. or something like that, where if I cut the goal in half, I'll probably end up taking more classes 
in the long run right. because I'll feel like I'm succeeding in building something. Yeah. yeah, he said that this is positive reinforcement in our identity, which is also a concept that we talked about in the Atomic Habits episode. Mm-hmm. There's that reward in meeting our goals, even though they are slightly smaller, but it energizes us to keep us going and it helps us pace ourselves so that we don't burn out. Definitely. We can't stress enough. It is not cheating to cut the goal in half. Right. On the other end, he acknowledges you can't cut every goal in half. So another option could be to double the timeline. Right. If you can't cut it in half, give yourself more time. And then he said, if you're thinking, oh, no, I can't do that, just ask yourself, what really is the worst that could happen? Mm -hmm. And in most cases, it's just that it will take a little bit longer. And he said that it's, it's funny that when he's talking with people about doubling their timeline, they'll say, no, I'll never, I'll never end up doing it. I need to lose 20 pounds, so I need to do that in, in six months. And then he often just says, you've already waited such a long time to get to this point. What really is, instead of six months, what's really a year? So just add another six months on top of that. You've, it's been years to get to this point. What is truly another six months? It's not going to kill you. That was such a helpful reframe to think back to even episode five about designing your life. Just imagine instead of, oh, I have to get it done now. Think about how long you've already gone without having this in your life. What's another weeks or even months going to do? Right. Right. Everything will be okay. That's another big takeaway, I think. Like everything will be fine. You are fine. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. (laughs) I know. Something else I loved about this concept of giving yourself more time is that you should remember finishing perfectly isn't actually an option here. It's not that you can truly finish perfectly in less time because as we've learned, that just doesn't happen statistically. So really the options here are one, quit because the goal is too big or two, cut it in half and finish it. Mm -hmm. So now that we've cut our goal in half, it's time to move into the next chapter, decide what you're going to bomb. So there's this lie perfectionism creeps in and tells us, which is that you should be able to do it all. But spoiler alert, (laughs) you totally can't. So what we want to advise is that you can choose what you won't even attempt. So he talks about like leaving the laundry on the chair and just having it not go folded. And he makes very funny. He's very funny. He makes these comparisons about his kids like ravaging around the house (laughs) and just having to pull their laundry, clean laundry off this chair. But the whole point is that when you choose in advance what you're going to bomb or what you aren't even going to attempt, what that does is it removes the shame and the guilt associated Mm -hmm. with that failure. You've given yourself permission. So you're doing it right. Yeah. Yeah. The way to achieve a goal is to use your most valuable resource, which is time. And time has to come from somewhere. And so to be good at one thing means to be bad at something else. And It doesn't mean you're going to be bad at it forever. It just means that during this time period, during which you're working toward this goal, you're going to let some things slide. And you can choose really intentionally what they're going to be and how you're going to do that. One example he gives in the book is Shonda Rhimes. Mm. When she's actively show running one of her many, many successful shows, she acknowledges that that's not a peak time for her to be exercising. Mm -hmm. He makes a very funny comparison. He goes, when she's show running, she's not actually running. (laughs) Um, But I thought that that was powerful, number one, because this very successful woman is choosing intentionally what to bomb, but also it's temporary. She's not saying, I am never going to exercise ever. It's just a certain 
couple of months where she knows she can't do it all and she makes a choice. Yeah. And these don't have to be huge things like exercise. The things that John chose to strategically bomb during the course of writing this book, so meeting the goal that he had over the course of this book, was keeping up with TV conversation. He just stopped watching new stuff that was on TV, and he just was left out of those conversations at dinner parties with friends. Like, he just didn't spend his time watching those shows. He also chose to bomb Snapchat, and he chose to bomb email by, I think he batched it every other day or something like that. And he had an assistant. Yeah. Which I think is just noteworthy because Mm -hmm. bombing doesn't have to mean nobody's doing it. Right. It might just mean that you're not doing it. Exactly. Delegation. Right. Right. He also delegated. um, He had this idea in his head that the satisfaction you get from cutting your own lawn is something you just need to revel in in the summer. And he was like, it it just wasn't a good use of his time. So he delegated that to a lawn service. The lawn (laughs) is a hilarious part of this book. Like he brings up a lot of like manly man activities you're supposed to do, like the pride of your green lawn so you can like joke around the grill and be like, mm-hmm, my green lawn <laughs> with the other dudes. Um, but what I like about that example is that it seems like he might actually enjoy this activity. Right. But I think for a lot of us, there are things that feel like obligations. Mm-hmm. Like you must be on social media mm-hmm. or you must attend certain events. And maybe that's just a pressure, but it's not necessarily important to you. Or maybe it's not as important to you as the goal you're working on right now. Yeah. So I think it's a really helpful exercise to think about these types of activities. Yeah. He also mentions that when you are considering what you want to bomb, you could think of activities like a stoplight. So there are some activities that are, he calls them greens. These are things that would help you hit your goal. Maybe you keep those. But red are the activities you're doing that detract. Most likely they're just taking time away from the goal and are not necessarily things you personally have to be doing. It's his cutting his own lawn example. Mm-hmm. So sometimes things are noteworthy or noble, which we'll talk about in a bit. Right. But unless they support your goal directly, they're probably not the right fit for you. Right. So just choose what they're going to be, make peace with your decision, and then come up with a system for how you're going to handle them, and then realize this is not forever. And for those things that you can't choose to bomb, you can also simplify. For example, so you can't not feed your kids or yourself But you can choose to cook simpler meals that don't take a lot of time in food prep. I think that's a great example. I also really love the recommendation to choose the time frame. So how long are you going to bomb this thing for? Mm -hmm. Like John himself is pretty active on Twitter, but he went away for 10 days and said, shocker, nobody really noticed. So it doesn't have to even be for a very long amount of time, but choosing what you're going to bomb for how long and to what level. Mm-hmm. Like you got to feed your kids, but maybe it's pizza. Right. You know, I think all of those are really healthy ways to continue to focus on your goal. Yeah. I have so many things that I bombed and simplified, and I can't wait to talk about that in the next episode. Perfect. Well, first, before we go into the next section, spoiler alert, it's all about fun. We're going to take a quick break. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash booksmart and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash booksmart to get started today. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. Of course, we recommend you use your free book to check out Finish, but you can choose any book you'd like. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash booksmart. 
Again, that's audibletrial.com slash booksmart for your free audiobook. We've spent a lot of time talking about perfectionism and how it gets in the way of finishing. Another little lie it tells us is that goals need to be blood, sweat, and tears. Goals must be hard. But really, fun is a huge part of it. And instead, John says, if goals aren't fun, they won't get done. I loved that. It seems like it just opens up the door for us to actually enjoy what we're doing, which in most cases we probably should be anyway because we're working towards something we want to have in our life. So we should be really taking some joy in this. And I I totally related to this idea of perfectionism, believing that the harder something is and the more miserable it makes you, the better. Like fun doesn't count. So this, I really related to this one. I loved he mentioned that he pulled his 30-day finishing challenge group. And he said, no surprise, the ones who were doing something fun said that the challenge was more enjoyable. Yeah, shocker. Um, But he said what was more surprising is that they're actually performing better as well. So Mm. it's not just that they are enjoying the challenge more if they choose fun goals to finish. They are actually more likely to succeed as well. Yeah, yeah. And we can recognize that some goals aren't naturally fun. For example, like losing weight might not be something that is inherently fun. Probably it involves eating food that's really different for you or running when you're not a typically a runner. It's not like we don't think of losing weight as super fun, but you can also ask yourself, how could I make this goal more fun and think about what motivates you? And so you might incorporate fun rewards on the way. Exactly. Or with the exercise and getting healthy example, maybe you prefer some exercises over others. You don't have to lift weights. You don't have to run a marathon if those don't sound fun to you. There are so many options. And even same with eating. Maybe there are certain vegetables that you hate, or maybe you hate kale. You don't have to eat kale. There are plenty of healthy options. So you can, I would say, make micro fun choices as well as larger fun choices. Yeah, I love that. A big part of this too is figuring out whether you are reward motivated or fear motivated. So to be reward motivated is when you get super hyped up when the end result is detailed and clear for you. That is what fires you up. You really want the reward, the prize of the positive outcome, whether that's like seeing a first sale in your business or fitting into those jeans or sending your kids to college from the money you've saved. Whereas fear motivation is that you're motivated not by what could be if you acted, but by what won't be if you don't act. So instead of being motivated by what you desire, you're actually motivated by trying to prevent an undesired outcome. One example I loved that John mentioned that is reward motivation is that he lights this balsam candle, but only when he's writing. So his reward is the smell of the candle, but it's also the sense of accomplishment he feels because it's a 60-hour candle. So he had this in his mind. He's like, I have this vision of this empty glass candle, and I really want to see that. That was a reward for him. Yeah. Maybe do you want to share an example of a fear-based motivation? Yeah. So this... We'll talk a little bit more about this one in the next episode about this book, but this is me. I'm I'm motivated by fear. So this is partly why I started a business. Like I was afraid that I would regret it if I didn't. And it's why I work hard every day, even when I could stand to sit back a little bit, because I'm afraid of missing future deadlines. Mm-hmm. It's not about getting to walk around saying that I'm an entrepreneur. It's not that reward. And it's not even the reward of hitting a deadline. It's the fear of not having done those things and how that would feel 
internally to me. Mm -hmm. A takeaway I had here is that I feel reward motivation and fear motivation at different times. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily that you're one or the other all the time, but different scenarios may need different kinds of fun or different kinds of motivation in different ways. Yes, absolutely. So figure out what works for you and it probably is a combination and then like get to play with that. Have fun with it. Mm -hmm. God forbid we have a good time, right? Right. Okay, so if perfectionism can't stop you by telling you that if it isn't perfect, you should quit, or that your goal isn't big enough, that it shouldn't be fun, it will move from destruction to distraction. And it will try to distract you in two main areas, your hiding places and your noble obstacles. We'll get into both, but a hiding place is something that you focus on instead of your goal, while a noble obstacle is a virtuous sounding reason for not working toward your finish. So hiding places are usually spots in your life, either physical or intangible, that require little energy. Like sitting on the couch, watching Netflix, scrolling through social media. Or they're spots that can look like productivity in your day. That might be getting to inbox zero or cleaning or spending lots of time doing internet quote unquote research. My sisters and I talk a lot about procrasta cleaning, procrasta baking. <laughs> like we just add procrasta in front of anything. Baking. But those nice. are good examples of hiding places. Yeah. You have something that needs to get done, but instead of that, maybe you're focusing on something else. Right. And so you can find what your personal hiding places are by asking yourself one, Where do you find yourself going accidentally, like Netflix or email? Two, do you have to jump through mental hoops to explain or justify why you're giving it time? For example, if you have to give a complicated multi-step explanation for why it's valuable, it probably isn't. And this is where like researching, planning, organizing might be an example. It's you're not taking action when you're involved in those hiding place activities. And once you find your hiding places, you can just stop going there with your time and energy and money. So hiding places are a little bit mindless. You kind of just end up doing it. That's a good leading indicator that you're in a hiding place. But noble obstacles are a bit different because these are easy to justify. They sound like really good reasons why you shouldn't be working toward your finish. Yeah. And there are typically two kinds of noble obstacles. And the first one is that you believe you cannot move toward your goal until you do something else. For example, one of the stories John used in the book was of a friend who felt that in order to clean out his garage, he needed to have a yard sale first, which just required so much time and energy to prepare for this yard sale when really he could have just gotten to work cleaning out the garage. I love the yard sale example because it really does sound productive. Oh, I'm going to clean out this garage. Maybe let's earn a little bit of money. But then... You list out all the steps it takes to do a yard sale, (laughs) which involve, of course, cleaning the garage, but then you have to itemize, you have to set it up, you have to mark it. It just takes, I think he listed 16 steps. Yeah. And really what you're doing is avoiding cleaning the garage. So it's maybe easy to spot when you do list everything Mm -hmm. out. So I I thought it was productive as an exercise to list out what would it take to do this second thing. And then Mm -hmm. you realize like, hmm. That's a lot of work. Look at all this stuff that's getting in the way of my actual goal. Exactly. An easy way to catch this one is finding yourself using the word until. Like, until I know why I have an issue with food, I can't go for a short jog around the block. Or until I know where all this stuff in every room is going to go, I can't clean this one room. 
it's really the trigger word in your brain for noticing when you're hiding behind this noble obstacle. He says in the book, until is just perfectionism in a Halloween costume. <laughs> <laughs> he really is very funny and enjoyable to Yeah, me. he is. Okay, so the second kind of noble obstacle is that this one's really more mental. It's when we believe that reaching our goals will produce bad results or make us a bad person. An example of that one is that we say that we're afraid that we'll become workaholics if we make the leap and become an entrepreneur. And as a result of becoming a workaholic, we'll end up getting a divorce. It's really big stuff that we choose to believe and we just put it in our way and it may or may not be true. It's probably not true. Another great example is people worrying about bulking up mm. if they work out too much. These are people who are, let's say, not working out at all right, right. now. The fear of getting too jacked is a pretty <laughs> distant concern to be having. But you do let it often get in the way, just like being a workaholic. I mean, you can really yeah. take anything to the extreme and just let your mind spiral and talk yeah. yourself out of anything. Yeah. The trigger, just like the word until was a trigger for the first type of noble obstacle, the words if then – is when you can start to notice if you have this kind of noble obstacle. So if I eat healthy, then my budget will take a huge hit. I think that if-then framework is really powerful. At least mm. for me, I've noticed in my own brain, I'll hear myself saying, oh, well, if this yeah. happens, oh, then I can do something. Mm -hmm. But you're really just giving yourself an excuse to wait. To not. Mm -hmm. yeah. So maybe ask yourself what would happen if you just did the then. Yeah. What if you skip the if? Right. Yeah. Okay, so we sometimes lie to ourselves. We tell ourselves these stories about how things are. And another thing that perfectionism does is it tries to get us to follow what John Yakoff calls secret rules. And these are sometimes called limiting beliefs or baggage. But an example of a secret rule is for something to count, it has to be difficult, right? We talked about that one. Or if it doesn't come easily, it's not worth doing. Those are two that John both identified as his own secret rules. Another one he mentions is winners never quit. Mm. But he says, of course they do. People quit stupid things regularly. Mm -hmm. And I loved that one because we do talk about finishing, of course. That's mm -hmm. the premise of this book. But sometimes quitting is the best option. Yeah. So finishing a goal you absolutely hate isn't a win. He mentions that you can talk to friends about this, get wise counsel from somebody else mm -hmm. to know if quitting is the right choice. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's important to note that in a book about finishing, we are not implying that you need to finish everything you start. Right. And just be aware of what secret rules we each have. Another example is that success is bad. And so, of course, if we believe that, the more successful we get, the worse we feel or the belief that I don't deserve better. And I know this keeps people in bad jobs, bad relationships, and bad habits. So we really have to start to become aware of what our own secret rules are so that we can destroy them and replace them. Definitely. This reminded both of us quite a bit about episode two, The Big Leap, yeah. where we were talking about those limiting beliefs like yeah. the crime of outshining yeah. or the feeling of being a burden to someone yeah. else. So if you are interested in learning more about these, in addition to finish, you could check out booksmartpodcast.com slash two to hear more about The Big Leap. So perfectionism makes sure that failure is loud but we know that progress is quiet. And so that's why we need data to magnify our success, no matter how imperfect it is. 
And this whole next chapter is about using data to celebrate your imperfect progress. He says, you know, why do I want you to have a few points of data? He says, because when perfectionism gets loud in the middle of your goal, I want a piece of paper with the truth on it. That's what data is. I think all of us remember what's happened in a certain light. We also tend to remember failures more than successes. We remember goals we didn't hit Mm -hmm. more than goals that we did at times. Mm -hmm. So measuring the data, really tracking what you've accomplished or what you haven't accomplished is a really positive gut check. It's a way to keep reality at the forefront. Yeah, to know that we're actually making progress. And it also enables us to make adjustments because when we have the data, we know we can tweak to do better going forward. And I love, so John listed 23 different types of ways we can measure data in the book. And just a couple of them are like hours worked on a project, dollars saved, dates with a partner, hours slept, bad foods avoided, hours of TV watched. Like it can be about increasing numbers as well as decreasing numbers to keep track of what you're working toward. Yeah. And if you do want a copy of that list, you can download it from our show notes at booksmartpodcast.com slash six. One of my favorite things about this chapter is that there are a lot of obvious examples of things that you do. You want to write a certain number of words per day. People often track calories. They count things about workouts. They count Mm. output. But sometimes it can be equally powerful to count the things that you don't do, Mm. like days that you didn't spend a certain Mm -hmm. amount of money or days that you didn't go for that extra slice of cake. So I think it's really powerful to consider both what you do and what you managed to avoid doing. Mm Yeah, I loved that. And overall, it is worth taking a little bit of that extra time to keep track of this data because it prevents emotions from clouding our judgment. When we look back over these numbers, we know that the data doesn't lie. And so what you're doing here is like stacking the deck in your favor using math. Mm -hmm. He gives an example of somebody who has previously lost weight and is now trying again. Mm -hmm. And this person remembers it as, quote, easier the first time. Mm -hmm. They don't have any data, though. It's just kind of a gut feeling. And what's tough about that is now, the second time around, if you've convinced yourself that it's harder, it's going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. If instead you had data from the last time, in fact, you might find out that you know how to work out better this time or you found the healthy foods that are fun for you. And maybe this time it is actually going better than before, but you've got rose-colored glasses about the first time. Right, right. That brings us into the last section of the book. The home stretch or the day before done. This may feel a little counterintuitive, but the fear of success can often hold us back right before the finish line. And there are three fears that you might be feeling. Right. So the three final fears of perfectionism are first, the fear of what happens next. Second, the fear it won't be perfect and amazing. And third, the fear of what now. All three of these really spoke to me in different ways. Um, the fear of what happens next. Yeah. If you've spent so much time pouring your mm-hmm. heart into a major project to finish, I do think it can feel daunting to wonder, you know, once I hit this, what will I spend my time on? What do I do next? Yeah. Yeah. Also living with the results of what you have created. So an example he used about authors, you know, finish their book and they hit that huge milestone, but then now they have to deal with criticism or rejection mm-hmm. as part of the publishing and publicity process. And so that 
I could see that being a major fear that would block me in finishing a goal if I knew that next, like, my book was going to be criticized. It's very relatable, even yeah. if you aren't an author, I yeah. think, to imagine, you know, what comes after this major thing. Yeah. I think that also touches on the fear that it won't be perfect. Yeah. Like, what if you lose the weight and you still aren't happy? There are right. so many ways where that can come up that I think all of us could imagine at least one of yeah. these fears. Yeah. I love that. For the fear that it won't be perfect and amazing, John said, it won't be. That's life. <laughs> yeah. I loved – he mentions that pretty regularly. He's like, yeah. this is not going to turn out how you thought it would. Yeah. But he also mentions that you can't have perfect, but what you get is even better. You get a surprise. You get something you didn't see coming. And the example he gives in this chapter is that he expected the day he finished writing the mm. book to be the big day. Yeah. But really, it was the day he saw – the first one in print. He mm -hmm. saw the book, the cover. It was a tangible thing, and yeah. he and his daughter got so yeah. excited. Yeah. Um, so throughout every section we've covered, this need to be perfect will yeah. tell you stop or make it bigger right. or like harder, better, faster, stronger, yeah. but it doesn't have to be that way. It's going to be imperfect. Just acknowledge it up front and move forward. Yeah. You don't need to have the next thing figured out before you finish this thing. Just finish anyway, and don't let the fear of what's next steal the joy of finishing what's now. He also says perfectionism makes us think we have to do things alone. Yeah. But in particular, we need friends during the entire goal, yeah. really. But they're so critical at the finish line. So he says, go find one and better yet, maybe go be one to yeah. somebody who you know is close to finishing to support them right past that finish line. Yeah. I have that same note with a little heart emoji next to it. Mm -hmm. We don't ever age out of needing someone yeah. to believe in us. Yeah. John, you're amazing. John is amazing. <laughs> In conclusion, perfectionism keeps you at home on the couch, not trying. And we can spend our entire lives not trying, but wondering what if. We imagine, we dream, we hope, and time passes. And the goal doesn't disappear. And goals that you refuse to chase don't ever disappear. They just become ghosts that haunt you and we get sad and angry. So instead, we can choose joy, we can choose fun, we can choose trying, and sure, maybe trying and failing, but then adjusting and trying again. And the only way to finish your goal truly is to act on it. So embrace perfection, dance with the fear, and remember, starting is fun, but the future belongs to finishers. Before we go, here's the bookmarked activity for you to try, which Em and I will both be working on for next week's episode. Okay, so think of a goal you're working toward now, or one you've always wanted to take on but were afraid you would fail to finish. Can you cut the goal in half? What about doubling the timeline? And don't forget to think about what you might choose to bomb or simplify on your path forward, and how you'll stay aware of your hiding places, noble obstacles, and secret rules. For more about uncovering what these might be, head over to the show notes at booksmartpodcast.com slash six. We'll be back next week to talk about how Em and I tried this activity in our own lives, so stay tuned. Thanks for joining us this week. To view the complete show notes and learn more about Finnish, visit booksmartpodcast.com slash six. We've also included our top takeaways and the bookmarked activity for easy reference. Once you've read the book, we'd love to hear about it. Tell us if you've set a goal for yourself to finish or had any aha moments by emailing us at hello at booksmartpodcast.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 929-515-BOOK. That's 929-515-BOOK -OK or 2665. 
Lastly, we do have a quick favor to ask. If you enjoyed this episode, and we hope you did, we hope you'll leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Reviews let Apple know that great listeners like you enjoy our show, and that helps us expand our reach in the search results. Thanks again for joining us on this week's episode of Booksmart. Until next time, happy reading.